There's a drive in Kelly for like serious self-worth. Get curious about sex. I'm not only going to woo my partner, but I'm going to woo myself. And then meditate. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a monk. You're not always in control. And it was like pride, not have periods, not have emotions. I'm going to need to feel everything. I found in those shattered pieces my truth. We're just piling more shame and judgment on top of the original problem. You're sick. Your body's revolting against you. Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus. These are things that can be simmering on you that you don't know. And they're the trigger for your problem. Making the connection between your mind and your body, your emotional needs. That is how we heal. You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Hello. Do I have a magical treat for you today? Oh, let me tell you. Today's guest, I just got full body chills, getting ready to introduce her. Lauren Shahi is just an angel on earth. Wow. I sat across from her when we recorded this a little over a month ago, and I was just taken somewhere else. The way her words resonate with me, the way she moves my soul, it's in a way I just can't even describe. She has these eyes that take you so deep to other realms and places that make you feel so welcome and seen and understood. And she is such a beautiful human. Lauren is a writer, a meditation teacher, and a trauma coach. And there is so much depth to what she offers. And in our conversation, we get into hiding behind masks stuffing down the darkness and feeling like her heart wasn't being seen, how her eating disorder and PTSD led to poor relationships and nurturing herself and her womanhood and understanding how to declutter the river, unpack her darkness so that the suffering could melt. She got very clear into who she is, what her why is, And is she the fear or the anger? So this is really a healing journey beyond self-destruction into expansion and breaking free of conditioning and coming home to yourself. This show changed my life as we were recording it and I am thrilled to bring such an impactful woman to you, especially at this time. So if you want to connect with Lo, go to at Lauren Shahi on Instagram. And also we had her and her sweet hubby on OK Babe during our Soulfire Online Retreat series a couple weeks back. So we will also link to that episode. People loved it. It's called Love in Lockdown. And We got deep into their fights on the kitchen floor and really getting deep into their own trauma and their own truth and seeing each other and communication and relationships. And I really respect and honor the way they speak to each other, the way they hold each other. And it's a really, really impactful and raw conversation that Connor and I had with them. And before we get into this conversation with Lauren, I just wanted to take a second to let you guys know about one of my favorite podcasts. They are also over here, Soulfire Productions. 
basic witches, the most fabulous witches you've ever met. Leah Knauer and Rachel LaForest are the hosts and they take you into their coven of the world famous comedy store, interviewing comedians, actors, artists, other witches, me included, about all things magical. So really when you step into this show, you are on a magic carpet ride of deep thoughts, deep breathing, belly laughs, and so much more as they really open up all of these celebrities that they have on the show, the comedians, witches who are really willing to get deep into their own spirituality and be honest about how they've gotten there. So they ask basic questions so you don't have to, like what the fuck's a tarot card and how are we supposed to sage properly? They have all the manifestation tips, magical masturbation quips, um, hello, and they're rooting for broomsticks over dicks. You know I am here for this. Astrology.com loves them. I know you will. I'm obsessed with them. So go ahead and give these gals a listen. Go over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave them a five-star review, show these witches all of the love. And as the girls say, hexo, hexo. Here's Lauren. I love everything you're about. So I'm so excited to do this I'm with you so excited and finally meet you in person. I'm so excited. Don't you ever feel like you already know somebody before you meet them because of all Instagram? The like, all the I time. I know your life story. Or especially with <laughs> podcasting, doing all of like the background mm-hmm. and then you're sitting across from them and you're like, okay, so when you were five years old, this happened and you went to this school and tell me about it. And they're uh-huh. looking at you like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how do you know that about know. me? It's so funny. You're, you know so many intimate details about someone, yet you still know nothing about them. Uh-huh. It's kind of this weird place to be in. But as I was looking at your stuff over the last few months, I was so impressed. One, your way with words is so beautiful, like so, so beautiful. And you can tell everything you share is deeply from the heart. So thank you for that, because I think it gives all of us permission to have that same ability to share. But I'm curious where this desire for you to share yourself so fully and so transparently came from. I think it came from living my life very much stuck in the opposite side of that spectrum. And growing up, up until I would say probably last year, I was hiding behind masks and I was so layered and I could chameleon myself to any situation so that I could assume the role that I needed to and I could be enough and I could make sure that the other person was happy And their idea with with me was, um, their idea of me, I should say, was reflected. And so I was pleasing. And I was also trying to stuff down all of this darkness that I had inside. And throughout my own healing process and this long journey of waking up, I realized that the most empowered thing that I could do for myself, but also for really all of humanity, the collective of humankind was show up as I was and just invite others into that space of unconditional belonging. Mm. Unconditional belonging. Don't you think, and I know you work with clients, I'm sure you see this a lot. And even just in our community of women, the feeling of not feeling like you belong, not being accepted, not being seen for who you are, is really what we're all after. Mm-hmm. Yet we've never felt that. Mm-hmm. Where is that coming from? Well, we don't belong to ourselves. Mm. 
I mean, that's the honest truth of it. And I, I found myself falling back into that trap this last week. Joe is in a really busy season and I found myself saying over and over, I feel so disconnected from you. And about five days into saying that, I finally had this stillness and I went inside and I looked around and I realized that the reason I kept projecting that out onto him was because I was disconnected from myself. And that is the trap that we all fall into. And so as a society, as women, especially with so many different rules and expectations thrown onto us from so many different sides, we feel as though we have to show up a certain way in order to find belonging. Yet, as long as we're molding ourselves into a certain suit, there we're neglecting and we're rejecting all of these internal parts and creating this dissonance and this separation inside, which we then in turn, just like I did, project outwards. And so if we get stuck in this race of, okay, well, who do I need to be to belong in this moment? And who do I need to be to belong in that moment? We're perpetually abandoning ourselves and then never able to actually feel that genuine sense of belonging. We have to completely strip down. Mm. When did you notice that you felt like you didn't even belong to yourself and were so disconnected from your entire being? Mm. That's such a loaded question. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there was always a seed in me that understood, okay, I, I have this piece of my heart that doesn't feel like it's really being seen. And over time that grew and grew and grew. And as I experienced different traumas in my life, that seed then started to fester in with some shame and the way shame operates it's this rupture in belonging in and of itself. That's its nature. And it's this rupture in belonging to ourselves, to the goodness of the world, to the purpose that we feel like events are supposed to have. And as I experienced more and more traumas, I had this feeling of unbelonging really just start to take up my entire body and it led to me going into extremes and an eating disorder grew out of it. PTSD grew out of it. Really unhealthy relationships grew out of it. And because I was stuck in this feeling of not belonging, I was attracted to and gravitating towards more situations that produced that same feeling. And it wasn't until I hit probably my lowest rock bottom that I was finally called to wake up and look at my own patterns and my own responsibility and getting myself into those situations over and over and over again. Yeah. How often are we in a mode of self-destruction because we believe that that is what we deserve and it's all we know. So even if we think I want this different type of relationship. We don't know how to get that. We don't know how to access that. And deep within us, our core belief is that, well, that's not for you. You're not good enough for that. How did you wrap your mind around? There has to be something else there for me. So last 
Oh, this would have been two falls ago now. Oh, it's so trippy that we're in 2020. (laughs) My God. And it's February. Yeah. What? Help. (laughs) So 2018 was my worst relapse in my eating disorder. And I lost everything. So up until that cycle and that downward spiral, I understood the harmful effects on myself, but I didn't actually experience my life falling apart from the disorder. And I needed to get there before I was really shuttled towards this door that I was supposed to inevitably walk towards. During that relapse, I lost my job. I lost where I was living. I lost all of my income. I lost myself. I lost my relationship. I withdrew from grad school. I was left with nothing. And I think that it took me losing absolutely everything in a quarter life crisis to realize that something about the way I was living had to be false or faulty in some way. And I started looking at my own beliefs and I started looking at my own behaviors and I have a background in psychology and mindfulness. And I think that while I was initially drawn to those to try to problem solve, it shifted to instead trying to just investigate and be really present with it. And instead of analyzing and fixing, I just sat and I was still. And I wanted to understand why everything was there. I wanted to touch all of the exiled parts in me. And I wanted to actually start to welcome them into the light and into this feeling of love. And at that point, I didn't have a framework for unconditional love. Joe was my very first framework. And it took me reaching this place of losing everything no longer able to earn love in any way. I wasn't achieving anything. I certainly wasn't good in society's eyes. Yet I still had this man showing up saying, I love you. You're safe. You're enough. And that went against everything that I believed in and against every pattern of self-destruction. And finally, I think something in my soul and in my heart just clicked And I knew that there had to be an alternative route. And I knew that there had to be a different way of operating with and interacting in the world. The way you talk about Joe is similar to the way I feel and talk about Connor. And I'm curious, I've never like verbalized this before. I think we are in a state where women are independent and whole on our own, and we don't need someone to complete us or save us or rescue us. And I really believe that. And I think that's amazing. And Connor has shown me parts of myself that I've never had access to and has been the trigger and the the switch for me to have the life I have now. And so I hesitate sometimes talking about it because I don't want people to think that this man came into my life and fixed all the things. Mm -hmm. However, he helped me access this love and this self-love and this awareness of the world that I had never had 
How do you describe what he's done without saving you, but opening and expanding you for this experience? I absolutely love that question. And I love that distinction because I think you're right. As a society, we're so aversive to this idea of codependence that we've kind of swung into anti-dependence and fierce independence. And in that way, we lose sight of how crucial human connection is. And when I think about Joe and when I hear you talk about Connor, what I'm really visualizing and experiencing is this new baseline. And if we think about a a secure attachment between a child and a parent, it's never the parent saying you're going to need me forever and you are mine and I'm going to fix you and make all your decisions. The parent's not the rescuer. The parent is there saying, I love you no matter what. You get to go out into the world and explore and ask questions and mess up. And I'm going to be right here waiting, loving you no matter what the outcome is. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. We need permission. We need permission to actually start to look inside. And we might be fierce, strong, capable women. But until we have that holding environment and feel like every part of us is not only safe, but seen Mm -hmm. and held and loved by another person, we're invited to start looking at things in us that might've been off limits before. And when we're in that intimate of a relationship, if we are mindful with it, if we are fully present in it, if we're curious and willing, we're able to open up so many doors that we wouldn't be able to on our own simply because we're in a relationship with another person who's acting as our mirror. I don't know if you guys have this experience too. Connor and I have a lot of the same core wounds and beliefs about ourselves and we both have this deep fear of abandonment. And so we're always testing each other. Like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to push this boundary. Are you going to leave me? Are you still there? Do you still love me? And we'll even say those things to each other. Like, and we'll sit on the couch. I mean, last night, Connor did. He's like, do you still love me? And it's so funny because then you just, I literally visualize us both as like five-year-old kids being like, Ooh, I did this thing. Do you still love me? And there's this sense of healing each other through the relationship of knowing I can do this thing and you are unwavering. I'm not going to go do something horrible and expect you to still be there. There's obviously uh, exceptions to that, but it's a beautiful experience to be able to heal together and mirror each other in those experiences. Absolutely. And even in what you just described, there's empowerment and there's responsibility in how you are showing up because even so let's look at last night. He's sitting there and he's saying, okay, here's this vulnerable thing. Do you still love me? And it probably came off as joking. And of course you're sitting there like, yeah, babe, I love you even more. But instead of just putting all of the power into your hands as the partner who said, yes, I love you. He did the reparenting in that moment. And he showed up for himself in that way of, okay, I'm about to share something. and I have this fear of abandonment that we know about, that we've talked about, and I'm going to move towards it. And I'm going to just trust that I actually am unconditionally worthy of this love. And so even in asking the question, he was still standing on the truth that I am worthy of this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said what I just said. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful way to look at it. 
When you guys are in communication and you are going into those vulnerable spaces, what does that look like for you? So it can look really, really conscious and it can look really, really unconscious. So that's it's a practice. And Joe and I are coming from this place of when we first started dating, we were operating from very different attachment styles. And if we look at where we are now, we've both moved into this secure place and really out of the mind and more into a spiritual practice. And we try to embody that dance with each other, whether we're in conversation, whether we are in bed, whether we're cooking across the board, it's okay. How can we just bring more mindfulness to this moment and more awareness? And if something comes up and I'm thinking about this past weekend, I was triggered. And that's something that's been a bit more infrequent for me. And when my trigger came in, I fell into a core belief so hard. And I just kept spinning the story of, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. A couple of days before I had the conversation of a lifetime, had incredible news. And the, the really, really good stress triggered this belief of, oh, but what if I'm not actually worthy of all of this? And I acted out and I projected all of those fears onto our relationship and all of those fears onto the conversations that Joe and I were having that morning. And he finally looked at me and said, okay, you're triggered. You just need to sit in it. Let's talk later. And I just needed permission to feel what I was feeling. And once I had a chance to go inside and look at what was coming up, tend to it, investigate it, and start to nurture it, I could come back. And for me, that those moments of separation are so crucial because they allow me to reground and they allow me, I'm highly, highly sensitive, highly, highly empathic. I might need to put my feet in some grass. I might need to go and meditate so that I can really start to come back into a grounded nervous system. If I'm not grounded, then I'm not going to be able to have a conscious conversation with anybody. So I take care of myself. I'm back into Joe and say, hey, (laughs) I was a shithead and I was really triggered and I started believing that I wasn't enough. And if I think about it, I can start to see how this was coming up because of X, Y, and Z. And now I'm realizing that I was projecting that onto you and I wasn't actually disconnected from you. I was disconnected from me and this little girl who doesn't feel like she's lovable. So I went unloved on her and, and now I'm okay. And I'm really, really sorry. And next time I'm going going to try to be more mindful in the moment. And he says, great. And then he asks questions and, and we say, I love you and we move on. And so like that's, that is the, the real life example. I feel like I can sit here and I can say, well, this is what you're supposed to do. And here's a script and here are the steps that you should follow. And I'm not perfect and I'm not enlightened. And I absolutely feel like a five-year-old sometimes. And so we just have to feel it and then fumble our way into a really open conversation. 
Do you remember what it was like for you when you started taking personal responsibility in your projections and fears? Yeah, it. <laughs> it was, was so super fun, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. God. Yeah. Saying I'm sorry, I mean, like, this is all my shit. It's yes. just so not fun. <laughs> it's so not fun. And it feels icky at first. Mm-hmm. It, and it feels icky until you do it enough times to realize, oh, I really can say these things and still be a good person. I really can mess up and still be loved. Oh, I don't have to be perfect. And I think once you give yourself permission to still be learning as a human being, it makes admitting to messing up or to projecting or to playing a part in different experiences that you have. It it makes taking ownership over those things less activating inside because we don't feel like our survival is on the line. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel he respects you and admires you even more because yeah. you do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I always thought if I admit that I did something wrong and I take the blame, then I'm bad and then I'm not going to be loved. And it's actually worked the exact opposite between Connor and I. Right. He will look at me like, I can't believe you just apologized for this thing. Like that was huge. And it's scary. But then I feel so good and so proud of myself for acknowledging it, being aware of it and just owning up to it. Absolutely. It brings us so much closer. So much closer. Yeah. And I think that I don't know how you grew up. I grew up as like the princess who never did anything wrong. And so I could just like go about my day and do all the things and I never got punished. And I had a very uh, holier than thou mentality that I could do no wrong. And now it softened me because I realized I'm just like everyone else and we all make mistakes and that's okay. And I don't have to carry this burden of perfection all the time. It's such a relief. Absolutely. And I think that is a sentiment that so many individuals, really men and women, grow up feeling. As women, it's really this perfect facade. And then we have with the masculine and with men, this um, stoicism and this sense of I'm untouchable and I'm hard and I am tough. And with women, it's I'm good. I'm pure and I don't make any mistakes and I love everybody and everything and rainbows are shining out of everyone's ass and we lose our humanity in that and we get so fixated on being good or being tough that we have this this entire wellspring of our our love of our compassion of our presence that's just blocked. And it isn't until we actually start to say, oh, I can fumble through life and make mistakes and I can be good and also say the wrong thing sometimes. And I could be really honest and sometimes I can be mean, right? Being able to own both sides, being able to live in that gray, it opens us up to such a richer experience with life. Because when we're so stuck in being good or being tough, there are so many other emotions that we don't get to feel. And it's almost like there's this film on everything that we experience, on every person that we interact with, and we only see a diluted version of it. That makes me think of this idea of redefining what is feminine 
And I think you do this so well. You embody strong and soft at the same time. And I think that that's not what we're taught. You're either strong or you're weak. It's one or the other in the black and white. And now all of a sudden, I mean, the women in my life, it's merging this strong and soft at the same time. How do you navigate between both of those and how do you merge them? For me, I was, I actually grew up hypermasculine, 110%. I was stuck in that, that conceptualization of, okay, if I have to be strong, then I can't show any vulnerability. And those were all of the messages that I got in childhood. Um, the first time I was diagnosed with depression, one of my parents told me that I was bad and that I was the root of all problems and that I had to suck it up, that I was broken. All of these core beliefs that I had been feeling were manifesting out of my parents' mouth. And so I put on a mask and I became ultra good, ultra strong, and fiercely independent, fiercely masculine with my energy. And that became very much like an armor. And as much as I felt like it kept me safe, that was a skewed lens. It also kept me out of touch and perpetually disconnected. And I always felt like something was missing. And that ended up manifesting not only in my relationships, but also in my body. All of my hormones shut down. My, my estrogen and progesterone, I stopped producing those because I was disowning my own womanhood. I was disowning my own femininity and I didn't, I didn't have any access to it. I, I also have had a lot of sexual trauma in my life. And so that that aspect of my womanhood in and of itself carries a lot. And as I started doing my trauma healing, I started really embodying this nurturing stance towards myself. And as soon as I started shifting in my relationship with my own emotions, with my own experiences, I was able to move into this deeper softening in all relationships. And the more I came back to that channel, the more I realized that that was my natural state. I was softness. I am softness. I am love and light embodied. And that's strong. And that doesn't mean that I have to have an armor around me because I don't need to protect my heart. My heart doesn't need this this protection. I don't need a stoic face. I don't need to be invulnerable. I can actually allow myself to feel everything. And that's the strongest act of all. I experienced that this weekend. I did mushrooms by myself and my body just got goosebumps. Yeah, it was so needed. And I know you have worked with plant medicine um, and I want to get into that. But I had this, as you're talking about your heart and not needing that armor. What keeps coming up for me in every plant medicine ceremony or sitting that I do over the last couple months is I am love. My role is to be love in my relationship with our dog, the way I lead my team, how I am on the podcast. It is all out of love, leading from love, from the heart. 
And I, like you, was very masculine, very competitive, such a go-getter, always achievement-oriented. And I couldn't allow myself to be loved because that made me feel weak. And I did feel like I had to protect myself. And I've had sexual trauma as well and bullied by women and just all these beliefs around, oh no, shut down because that's the only way you're okay and safe. And it was so beautiful. I cried so hard seeing that and experiencing just pure love that I don't need to raise my voice, that I just need to hold space for Connor in love. And it shifted my whole view of what I'm capable of because I didn't know that I had that ability. And maybe, of course I did, but I could not access that at the time. And I think that's one of the most powerful lessons that plant medicine has given me. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I was talking to someone about this yesterday and the way I try to visualize it, this, this river of love that we have and that we're often brought to through plant medicine, through coming back to nature, we're guided back to our own nature. And this river is always there, but we almost become these beavers and we hoard and collect driftwood and sticks and try to build this house on top of the river because the river is always flowing, always in flux and moving. And something in our brain says, oh, that's unsafe. That doesn't feel good, right? We're aversive to the unknown. And so we pile up these sticks and and we hold on and we grip and we're rigid and we just try to create this bank for us. And we obstruct this life force way underneath and that's our love and we lose touch with it and in all of our trying to create safety externally we don't realize that we would be safest if we just let go and allowed the current to buoy us and guide us along and it takes decluttering that river really intentionally and it's painful and it's confusing and it will shift every point of view that you've ever had But once you're able to declutter it enough and remove all of that duck energy, you tap into the ultimate life force. And I know for me, with each of my sittings, the the feeling that I come to through the medicine, it's this warmth and it trickles from my toes all the way to the crown of my head. And this warm energy just pulses. And I remember, oh, this is what happens when I take all of the clutter away. This is what happens when I just let go and I allow myself to surrender to the current. And this is my baseline and I have choice. And so I can leave this ceremony and I can show up with this river in any other situation, as long as I'm being really intentional and mindful of coming back to what I know is my nature. Do you, you mentioned darkness earlier and stuffing it down. Do you feel that you've been able to get to this point of accessing your heart and this pure love because you acknowledged and sat in the darkness? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What did that darkness feel like and look like for you? Oh, it was terrifying. Oh, right. Terrifying. It was, it was everything that I thought would kill me. I mean, truly that, and I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. And I think that if, if any of us sat down and really asked, okay, what are we really afraid of happening? And we unpack it and we 
we look at it and we turn it over and we allow it to really show us its true colors, we can understand that beneath any fear of abandonment or rejection, there's this fear that we wouldn't survive it. And when I think about the darkness, the perceived darkness that I had to touch and sit with, it was a monster and it was huge, but it was only a monster because I was refusing to look at it. And if we think about being in our bedrooms as children, we imagine that there's this gigantic monster underneath our bed. And it isn't until we turn on the light and we actually give ourselves a chance to look underneath that we realize it was a stuffed animal and it's harmless and we're okay. (laughs) And that's very much the same process that we have to do as adults with, okay, I have so many monsters in my closet and they feel really looming and scary and menacing. And what happens if I just turn on the light and look at them? What will I see? And so for me, when I finally flipped on the light, I saw that all of this badness that I felt like was there inside was really just fear. And it was this young fear. And all the fear wanted was to be loved, seen, and given a voice and heard. And once I realized that, the darkness was humanized and it wasn't as scary or impossible anymore. And the more often I came back to that darkness and sat with it, the more it started. Okay, so throughout your throughout your own journey, throughout your plant medicine journeys, have you experienced as you've woken up how your own reflection has started to shift in the mirror? Oh, yeah. It's fucking trippy. And I look at myself, I'm like, I think I just lost 10 pounds. Yeah. It's like this layer of inflammation is just gone in three hours. Yes. Yeah. 100%. -hmm. So when I think about that and I think about what happened, the more I came back to this darkness inside, the more the darkness naturally transformed into light. And suddenly this shadow figure that I was looking at and dialoguing with became myself. And it was almost as if this light was on a dimmer. And as I pushed up this dimmer, I realized, oh my God, that's me. And I'm looking at myself and she's beautiful and I love her and I'm okay with her and she's safe. And that changed everything. That brings me to tears. You know, what's crazy is when I was stalking you <laughs> on Instagram, and this is interesting, right? To have, to go and look back at people's pictures from before. And again, this is the first time I'm meeting you. I was looking at pictures of you from before and it was it felt like there was a cloud over your head. And I kept going and it was lighter and lighter and lighter. And obviously your hair got lighter, so maybe that was part of it. But the transition In your reflection that you just described is exactly what I saw this morning. And I thought it was so interesting, but I didn't know you. So I I didn't really have any context for that. But the way I see you now, you are so light. You are light. You exude that. And it's like this heaviness has lifted, which has made space for you, the true authentic you. 
is so beautiful. I couldn't have said it better. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for seeing me. Well, and I just, I mean, I have chills thinking about it because I've had such a similar experience. It's coming home to yourself. Truly. When you were always there, but you either were not able to access her or you stuffed her down because it was too scary to see her. Yeah. And then there's this acknowledgement of, oh, there you are. Yeah. I recognize you. Yeah. My body. Like, I just feel like I'm being hugged and I have goosebumps everywhere. It's, I love that you said recognition because it's not a process of discovering and it's not a process of even redefining. It's really remembering and it's coming home to this remembering of who you are and we go through experiences in life and all of those experiences are teachers and they can create a heaviness and they can create pain and separation and they can create addictions, and trauma and everything. But they're also still divine. They're also still love and they're also still teaching us something and they're teaching us who we aren't. They're showing us that we aren't the heaviness. They're showing us that we, we aren't the traumas that we experience, that we aren't our stories. And when we start to, to shed and come out of that heaviness, we really come into this place of remembering what our true nature is as souls on this planet in this incarnation. And, and it takes it takes a journey. And a couple of weeks ago, someone asked, well, like, what are the steps that you took to get here? And I hated that question I know. so much because it, there aren't, there aren't steps that you can take. This isn't a stepwise process. And once you hit one step, you don't move on to the next. And what looked like something for me, just, it looks vastly different for the next person. And the fact is, we're all remembering. We're all at very different stages of remembering. It's all beautiful. It's all divine. It's all incredible. And some of us are remembering in this lifetime. Some of us might have to have a couple more trips around the planet for us to remember. And, and that's still beautiful. And once we, once we have that spark and we start to look at ourselves in the mirror and have that reflection and finally see that soul nature and that love coursing inside of us. It, I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but I know for myself, the minute I touched that spark, everything started happening at a really rapid pace. And it was almost as if every time I looked in the mirror, I had this new layer that was gone and with it, there was this new pain that was gone and this new ache in my heart that was no longer mine and this new fear that suddenly seemed silly. And all of this, this suffering was just melting off of my body because I realized that nothing had to be, <laughs> nothing had to be any different than the way that it was. <sighs> I like that you said the suffering melted. When I'm in, in plant medicine ceremonies, I literally feel my whole body melting into the ground, like into the earth. 
And it's this sense of surrender and let go that I've never felt before. Uh, yeah. But, and then talk about a, a practice of the divine feminine, right? Like the ultimate surrender, the ultimate coming back into the earth and mother nature. Something that has brought me out of heaviness is crying. And I was mentioning to you earlier how much anxiety I'm feeling. And I experienced this even Saturday. I was wailing, crying from the depths of my soul. And I had a lot of anger issues. And I would want to break all the glass in our apartment. I've talked about that a few times on the show where I I literally just wanted to break everything. I wanted to scream. I wanted to hurt someone. had so much anger and so much fear, but beneath that was the sadness. And the sadness is so deep. And like you said, it it may not even be from this lifetime. And I've, I've seen the lifetimes that I've carried that with me. Has the crying and the the actual releasing in those tears been foundational for all of the layers of experience above that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's so multifaceted. I think that there are so many ways that we can look at it. If we think about just the fact, the act of giving ourselves permission to feel it, that's huge. That is something that actually is rare to give ourselves permission to touch that grief that we're feeling inside and then giving ourselves permission to not fix it, not mask it and really start to lean into trusting. I can feel this and still be okay. I can feel this and still be enough and still be good. And so there's that reorienting that takes place But then there's also the somatic release. There's the energetic release of crying, of opening up and allowing our our physical bodies, our energetic bodies and our emotional bodies to actually move the emotion out. And I know for me, if I think about my life pre-relapse and post-treatment, getting help and really leaning into recovery, I was in relationship with others, um, loving and gentle, but I was also hard and I could access emotion, but I wouldn't actually experience it. And I would never cry. I just stuffed it. And what that created was this entire block in my throat chakra. And I hold everything. Also my two points are I'm a two and a six. So everything is in my sacral chakra and my throat chakra. And that's also where I hold the most traumas. And as I would stuff down my emotions, I would also become voiceless. And I would have this knot that would just build. And I ended up having thyroid issues. I ended up, one of my coping mechanisms was just like shut down, just be invisible, just be quiet. And... It wasn't until I actually started touching the pain and the grief and then saying, okay, body, do your thing, feel it, release it. I surrender to you and I know we're going to be okay on the other side. I had days, weeks, months of crying every single day because I was grieving my entire life. I was grieving everything that I never felt. I was grieving every trauma I was grieving 
every abuse. I was grieving every identity. I was grieving myself. And one of the things, the practices that really cleansed me was crying in a shower and just sitting on the floor of a shower and being in there for, I'm sorry for everyone who loves our planet. I do too, but I would sit in the shower for an hour and I would just let the water wash away everything as I cried and cried and cried. Sometimes I would scream. Sometimes it was primal and guttural and I would just let out noises until I finally felt like the the blockages inside were releasing. And the the more often I did that, the freer I felt and the lighter I felt. When you talk about sexual trauma, I think so many women that have experienced that don't know how to access pleasure after that. Yeah. Self-pleasure, masturbation, mm-hmm. pleasure with a partner, how yeah. to ask for what you want, how to feel safe enough in your body to let someone inside of you or touch you to the point where you feel like you can let go. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? Joe was huge. I mean, he was my teacher. And I, up until Joe, I never had any healthy sexual dynamic. And I had experienced sexual traumas from the age of um, six up until the age of 20, off and on. And so my body, my body was holding a lot. But in terms of even understanding what sex was supposed to look like, feel like, um, taste like, really any type of understanding of it was just, it was absent. I had zero. And I mean, if I, if I think about what really started that opening for me, it was, it was trusting that I was actually worthy of, of safety and that I was actually worthy of belonging and love, which meant that I could be honest and I could be open and vulnerable. And as soon as, as long as I was founded and really grounded on this belief that, okay, I'm okay and I'm worthy, I can express my feelings and my needs, suddenly I could come into dialogue with Joe and I could say, okay, these are my experiences. These are my fears. This is what I like and this is what I don't like. And this is actually what I'm curious about. And he'd say, great. Awesome. Where do you feel safest starting? And we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And in the bedroom, he would ask, Is this okay? Do you like this? And I wish that I could give a a more thorough answer to that. But when I think about Joe and I, we have this energetic connection and we really, I've described it as a dance already on the show and, and it really is this dance and he responds to my energetic contraction and expansion and he'll notice cues and he'll read me and he'll respond to my energy. And so we start having sex before our physical bodies even touch, which for me is really, really, really crucial. On our show, we talked with Jamie Elizabeth Thompson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. No. Oh my God. You would love her. Okay. So 
she has these different sexual profiles and flavors and languages. And one of mine is the divine. And all my life with the traumas, it was very much stuck in the physical act of I'm here to provide pleasure to someone else. My body is an object. That's not how I'm wired. And in order to really experience sex, experience my body, experience climaxing and reaching completely different dimensions, I have to honor the fact that I need a little bit more divinity in my sex than (laughs) most women. That's okay. Angels must be present. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Babe, when I orgasm, I am portaling to another dimension. Don't interrupt me. Exactly. But I had to own it. Yeah. And I had to be curious about it. And I had to invite Joe into that. And then I just had to let go. And that was the final piece. It was this process of asking for what I needed, being honest about what I was feeling, being honest about what didn't feel good, what I was afraid of, being in this really safe container with Joe who would value everything that I said, who would respond and would pivot if needed, who wouldn't get mad or defensive or angry if I said, actually, this is a hard no. And then allowing myself to just be a woman who has access to the most incredible feelings inside, to this sexual energy that is also our life force and to just let go and allow myself to travel into it, allow myself to feel pleasured because I didn't have to be afraid of my safety anymore. And so I would let Joe guide us in our dance. And then there was this new pivot and this new little like fork in the road where I, I felt the more I let go and the more I surrendered into Joe, the more I felt empowered and actually being the one in charge. And so I was able to respond and come back in more of a dynamic way with our sexual energy where I was able to initiate as much as I was able to receive. And we were able to start embodying more of those, um, the masculine and the feminine polarities in the bedroom. It's the answer is there's so many different layers to it, but it took looking at all of that to really understand, okay, this is what I'm coming into the bedroom with. And this is what my body is carrying. This is what I want to be able to experience. And I'm curious. So let's go. When you reach edges or boundaries, maybe not things that are hard boundaries, but soft boundaries that you want to get curious about, what is that curiosity in that moment for you? And how do you push past it? I be really mindful and really present. And I come back to my breath and I've, I've absolutely noticed that. And it's, that is such a beautiful, beautiful distinction because there are moments where I might feel like my mind or my nervous system is saying, Mm, I'm not so sure, but my body's actually responding and opening up. And so if I can be embodied and I can just come back into what sensations am I noticing? What energy am I noticing in my body? 
what am I feeling and what can I breathe into? It allows my mind to let go of the fear and let go of the gripping and just start to explore, well, what's happening inside and how can I open up to it? How can I invite it in? How can it find a sense of belonging here too? And how can I use this to experience more of what I want, which is greater connection, greater intimacy, more portals and angels. And going back to your why, I feel like in those moments, it's like, why do I want to feel this? What is what is the feeling I would like to have? And how does this support that? Because the, I think that in curiosity always brings you back to yourself. Absolutely. So even when it's chaotic and it's unknown and scary, it's like, but I want to expand. And this is the feeling I choose to have. And this allows me to have that. And I can always say, nope, not going to do that. But trying it and giving yourself the opportunity, I feel like that's the biggest step you can take for yourself. Absolutely. I feel like that, I mean, we could stamp that on every single (laughs) subject that we've covered is it, we always have choice. And the most liberating thing we could ever experience is realizing that we have that choice because suddenly, no matter what, what type of situation that we're in, we can take a step back and ask, okay, what's my why? And who am I? Am I this core belief? Am I this fear? Am I this anger? Or am I love embodied? Am I light? Am I the unconditional nature of the universe? Am I safe? What do I choose in this moment? And what do I want to create? So beautiful. Thank you so much. You you. are a remarkable woman. And I love everything you said. And I just appreciate the way you show up and your heart. I can feel it um, even on the interwebs. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. I'm so grateful. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.